You're listening to Talk and Driver, the truck podcast. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Talk and Driver. I'm Dougie Rankin, the editor of Truck and Driver magazine, and I'm here today with Martin Tomlinson, the head of media and product demonstration at Volvo Trucks. What were you doing? Went to Edinburgh. Hope you're away. On the aeroplane. Yeah, we flew back down and the plane was delayed for an hour because the weather at Heathrow was really bad. So uh, the pilot came out and made an announcement and he said, uh, he finished the announcement, looked at me and he says, you work for Volvo, don't you? And it turns out this guy goes to Truck Fest at Peterborough and Edinburgh. And apparently I've spoken to him on the stand, but he's a bit of a truck geek, but he's a BA captain. So we stood, I went in the cockpit and we sat there talking for about half an hour. So you got to sit in the cockpit of a plane? Yeah, I did, yeah. What was his background? Was it something to do with the horse boxes? Or no, no, family. Family, family and transport. Yeah. yeah, that's all it was. So he goes to all the shows and it was all all a little bit weird, really. But I sat in the cockpit for an hour, half an hour, sorry, in uh, Edinburgh Airport and he showed me how it worked, basically. So no problem, we can fly planes as well. Sorted. <laughs> the Volvo make planes? We make engine components for aero, but not the actual plane itself. Plane itself. Mm-hmm. Well, we do have one in the museum in Gothenburg, which I've no idea why it's there, because as far as I know, we've never made one, but it looks big and it's hanging from the ceiling, funnily enough. Because we are going to Sweden in January. We are. To go and drive, what do you call the long combination? 25-25s. So it basically means 25 metre point, 25 centimetre long, really. What's the gross weight of these trucks? Uh, depends on the time of year, uh, but uh, about 64 tonnes is the, the legal maximum legal weight. Uh, but obviously in winter when it snows, all the snow sits on top of the logs and they get a little bit heavier, so you can add five tonnes to that. Is that but what it is we're driving? It's a logging truck? Yeah, is it? more, right. more than likely, yeah, more than likely. So it'll be a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably nine axle, so four axle rigid, two axled dolly and a three axled Trailer. Is that, is it, is that an F816? It probably will be, yeah. Uh, it probably will be. So, I, because, well, obviously, the point, so we could rewind a bit to explain the reason that we we're going to go to Sweden to go and drive these big trucks is to make the point that it should be something that's viable for British transport instead of attempting things such as platooning. Absolutely right. I mean, the I'm, I'm not a big fan of the platooning idea. Um, I don't see it working in the UK with the traffic density. Uh, it may work in the north of Sweden because you pass another truck every 20 minutes, half an hour or so. Uh, but really the M25, M6, as you, you drive it fairly often. So, No, I don't. The trial, I, I believe, is happening between the top of the M6 and the M74 where it might have a chance of working. But the traffic, you can get knots of trucks all tied up with each other yeah. and it takes ages to unwind them and what happens if a truck's doing... What happens if you've got a line of three trucks doing 53 miles an hour all closely bunched up, then one doing 53 and a half goes to overtake them? And yeah. just, uh, it's, it seems like there's complications there that yeah. um, have been otherwise unforeseen. Mm. But the point is that trucks these days are powerful enough that they can pull longer combinations. You could have them with two trailers. You could have a more sizable rigid that you could get and do distribution during the day and trunk at night with absolutely and that's that's as you'll see when we go but the the sort of favored scandinavian model is six by two rigid two axle dolly and then a normal 13.6 meter trailer or can i say 45 foot probably makes more <laughs> sense i'm one of these people that works sort of partly in imperial measurements <laughs> and partly in metric, so I'm six. You'd be like, well, you'd say I'm like five foot eleven tall, 
<laughs> weigh 12 stone. Yeah. But then again, you're working like, you measure things in centimetres and yeah. litres. and Four metres is 13 foot two. Mm-hmm. It's a 500 litre fuel tank <laughs> and it does, it, it does the fuel in miles per <laughs> gallon. Because <laughs> I can never work out the, uh, the litres per 100 kilometres. It's too difficult. No, it's the first thing I do in the truck is get in and go and re- reset that menu to miles per gallon. Well, although, just for reference, divide it by 282.5 and that gives you the litres per 100 kilometres. And if times divide it, what? Divide it by 282.5. And then to get it the opposite way, times it by 282.5. Times what? The MPG figure? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, if your MPG was six? Yeah, so if your MPG was six, should we work this out now? Let's work this out. Martin's got his phone out and he's, got, he's doing a calculation. Yeah, so 282.5 divided by six is 47 litres per 100 kilometres, which is bad. That is bad. Six <laughs> miles with a gallon. Well, that's so, what your yeah. FH16 was doing last week. Yeah, two, you were too heavy on the right foot, though. <laughs> I'm going to say, so. yeah. Um, yeah, I have had, uh, in the week previous to recording this, I've had an FH16 750 on loan from Volvo as a demonstrator. Um, and the idea with trucking driver going forward is I want to, um, all the trucks that we get and cover in the magazine in this manner, I want to put them to work properly i want them to be going doing real work real drivers real hauliers so um i had to decide what would be best to do with the truck and i put it into a chap who's running three volvos at the moment um his daily drives a 540 fh13 um moving uh, a low loader about moving excavators and plant stuff like that so um yeah, three so days with that certainly looked okay on the pictures didn't look like it struggled so it didn't, no, it certainly didn't struggle performance-wise. <laughs> um, what we found with it was you had to watch what you were doing because you could have a 20-ton tar plane or a 22-ton excavator on the back and you would forget because it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was pulling anything. And then when you were like kind of slowing down, you'd, oh, wait a now, <laughs> something behind you. Yeah. Um, no, very impressed with it. Um, what I found was slightly odd, who is it specs them? Me. Is it you? <laughs> right. a, a long wheelbase, mini midlift. 4.1. We, we ordered it last year. It was uh, it was done uh, basically just to try, because um, normally the four me- uh, the, the lightweight pusher normally comes as a 3.8 or a 4 metre. But we ordered that as a 4.1, and I wanted one with side skirts on as well as a comparison just for the 25-year celebration of FH, really. So it was just a bit of a bit of an oddball, but we have sold a few since. Uh, mainly people that want uh, blowers or uh, wet kits, tipping tanks on the frame, and it gives you a bit more space on the side of the side of the chassis. So we have done quite a few since, and the 13-litre version is incredibly popular. Yeah, I've got to say, it would be more, because of the mini midlift saving you weight, but then you're going to lose the weight if you spec the 16-litre engine. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And if you look at the 13-litre, if you take an equivalent normal tractor unit, Compared to that, it save and take all the weight saving features. You can save around about eight hundred and fifty to nine hundred kilograms over a, a normal one. So uh, there's a huge weight saving for people that are doing bulk and tipping and tanker work. Yeah, that's what we kind of identified it as. Is that who would be into this truck? And obviously, it's, it's a tipper type yeah, of yeah, chassis for doing absolutely uh, bulk. But no, we had it in all sorts of strange places. Um, single track roads we actually got it we got stuck at one point but it wasn't really anything to do with the truck it was i'd pulled off the road to go down a farm track and the, the back end of the trailer grounded out in the road <laughs> such was the angle so i had to get out and raise the back of the trailer the trailer up and then we we got going again with the diff lock in and kind of 
Um, but there wasn't anywhere we couldn't get it. It was definitely more tricky than it would be with a tag. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. um, well, I had the tag the tag, a couple tank, of months back. And the tag's a huge advantage for manoeuvrability and, and getting in and out of tighter places. And certainly on, on low loader sort of work, we sell quite a lot on that sort of on that sort of job mm -hmm. so yeah well i used that in fridges it was nice clean sort of easy work um, yeah. it probably would have been it probably would have been the the long wheel base midlift would have been more suited to doing the fridges and the tag would have been yeah better on the low loader i wouldn't have for that but no there wasn't anywhere where we um we couldn't go with it it was we were uh really pushed it to the limits of where it would go um kind of people asked for the fuel economy but it's only done seven thousand kilometers so it was doing Sort of well, the overall uh, fuel consumption in one of the computers said seven point three when we'd finished with okay, it. Okay. Yeah. But what we were doing it was about sort of five point eight six. Okay. And it made very little difference whether it was loaded or it was empty. Um, yeah. Sometimes what it does if you don't reset the the trip, it includes all the mileage prior to when you had it. So the overall MPG would have started at if we ran it up to Scotland as we did just as a solo tractor unit, that would have done let's say ten twelve to the gallon, and then obviously the two would average out over over the test, so always always reset the mm -hmm. reset the truck. I think, well, Ramsey, the chap that was um, using the truck, he um, he was getting about six and a half out of his five forty, which is a Euro five. So there's not that much of a difference, but you've got to wait for them to bed in. Yeah, it's still fairly, fairly new. As well, it's still so quite tight. It's not, it's not done a lot, but uh, there's not the, we don't see a, much of a difference as we did years ago. But there is still a small difference over sort of thirty twenty five to thirty thousand. Kilometers, and you notice a small difference. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Are these 2018 demonstrators? These ones are, yeah. Those these ones were. Yeah. So, is there a 2019 range coming in? There will be. From are you going to get some different colours? We are going to get some different colours, yes. We do like uh, to change the colour. So, yeah. Uh, yeah but you need to get different colours across the trucks, you see. <laughs> well, I'll see what 2019 brings. So, who knows what might happen in 2019 in terms of uh, new well, colours? I wouldn't. Uh, the, the the double drive rear lift tag. I'm interested to give that a okay. a run out. See okay. if we can see if we see what we can do with that. Okay. Um so I think well because um no I've done Volvo have definitely been the most um active in getting demonstrator units out to us because I had um well you've you've separated up now, but, but previously it was Volvo and Renault it was. Were, were together. It was. So it, um they're now separate kind of entities in terms of yeah, we, press and PR. Yeah, it? they are. We we sort of split, if that's the right term, on the 1st of October this year. So after three years of doing both brands, I've now gone back to reverting just to doing Volvo, which I've been doing for 20 years this year. How, uh, did, you first, how did you first get into this? Uh, anyway. If I'm being completely honest, I've absolutely no idea. It was uh, a long story. I started um, doing a, what we used to call a service receptionist, but we now call it, I think we call it a CSR now which means customer service representative, I believe. Um, so I did that, workshop control, and then moved, sort of moved into sales and then moved on to, to doing what I'm doing now. And I've been doing this for, uh, what would it be, uh, 10, uh, no, sorry, eight years this year. Just eight years about now, yeah. See, you've got um, letters after your name on Twitter, uh, Twitter C it, Yeah, Chartered Member of the Institute of Logistics and Transport. So what's that then? Well, it, just, it just makes me look clever, which I'm not really, but it just looks good. <laughs> what, do you have to do exams to get that? The reason I'm asking, well, I did my transport manager exams this month as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, not really. It's just um, you have to evidence that you've worked in the industry for a certain amount of time, and then they accredit you at a certain level. Uh, so there's four or five different different levels, and I think I'm on the, I think I'm the second one up. So 
So it looks good, but I'm not quite at the top yet. So I need to need to get better, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I did do. Um, I'd booked my transport manager exams for the operator CPC um, with the Road Haulage Association because previous to getting the job on trucking driver, I was going to put my own truck on the road figuring that I would just get demonstrator units half the time anyway, yeah, so I wouldn't yeah. need to drive my own yeah. truck. Um, no, the exams were... You You did it years ago, didn't you? I, I did it a long time ago. I think nowadays, I'm whatever right in saying you have, to, you have to do the international one now. There's only one you can yeah. get. Yeah, you can't just do a national. You have to do yeah. international. When, when I did mine, and it was probably... Dear, when I did mine, about 12, 13 years ago, I did the first module, which was the core, and then I did the second module, which was the national, and then the third is the international but as you say I think it's all all rolled into one now so yeah. well it worked quite well I had I had the home study notes for about three years that I'd bought um, and I just never got the chance to look at them so I thought right I'm gonna have to go and do the course um, so it was booked at the Road Haulage Association in Livingston which is about 15 minutes from where I live and um, it was began. You did two days, then three days in the week, three days in the week, and then you did your. Uh, I think it was like nine days training total, and you had the exam, which worked pretty well because it was dividing it up between your normal work. Yeah. Um, but I found the, the the trainer guy was really good. Um, How do you think you got on? I'm hoping that I've passed it. Excellent. Um, when 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 do you get the results? It takes six weeks for them to come through, so I won't know until January. Um, but basically, the format was you had done an exam in the morning and an exam in the afternoon, and you had 20 short questions, which are two marks each, and then you had like two or three 20-mark questions, which right. are like long essays. Yeah, I seem to remember there were some were multiple choice and some were... Yeah, mind that there's two different exams you can do. You can do the CILT or the OC... OCR. OCR, yeah. um, which is multiple choice, but mine was all written exams. Um, I hope I did all right. Um, I've been asked it. A lot of people have been asking me about it. You know, it's, oh, I really need to go and get this for one reason or another. Um, uh, if you know the road transport side of things, or if you already know your driver's hours and your thing's about six weekly checks and compliance and stuff like that, that's half the battle. Um, but there were there like a couple of people in the course who'd kind of been sent there, you know. It's like, I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to do it. And um, if you're coming into it right for the start, it can be... Yeah, pretty nerve-wracking. I seem to remember struggling as well. There were some of the questions around um, like looking after people and HR issues and payroll and all that sort of stuff all got rolled into it. And I seem to remember that being fairly difficult back in the day. But uh, as you yeah. say, the driver's hour side is... Mm-hmm. We, sh- we should all know, shouldn't we, really? But and There was a bit about that, a bit like sort of um, discrimination and employee yeah, yeah. disciplinary procedures and things. But you get to take your book into the exam. So you've got the big, huge folder... Right. Um, you still reference so you can exam. reference it, aye, but because you don't have a lot of time in the exam, you need to know where the stuff is in the book to look for it. Yeah, so you put your dividers in and highlight things. Um, and I, I'm hoping that I have passed it. I'll be rather embarrassed if I don't, because <laughs> next, at some point next year, I've not finalised it yet, we've got a special issue of Truck and Driver with a central theme of owner-operators, right. which is all people, guys who are like one guy, one truck, or... They've come from there and they've maybe got like two or three now. So I was going to go into quite forensic detail about the process you need to go through to get your operator license. and Because, um, well, basically I was going to do it myself to put my own truck on the road. So I'd probably go right up to that point, but obviously I'm not going to start running a truck business. I've had people, a couple of people offered, said, I'll drive your food in for you. <laughs> I would love to go and drive that old truck. And I'm like, you might not say that when it's like blown on air hose at the side of the M6 <laughs> in the rain. You've got to fix it. And you've got to crawl under it and fix it. Aye. Good old days, eh? Good old days. The good, mm. 
just found somebody now. It's much easier. I'd plug uh, the laptop in. That's that's the thing. So I would be a bit wary, and then they, they're your employee, and then you, if they're unwell, you I know I know this from my exams. <laughs> You've got to pay them statutory sick pay and everything. So I'm like, yeah. no, probably not. I'm not. Sure. I'll need to get my food and um, MOT. That is ready for MOT. Okay. I need to work out what to do with it for next year. Try and get it painted and take it to some shows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we like we do like a show. Freight in the city, maybe not right for Foden's. Convoy in the park. Certainly maybe. not. You could go and take one into Freight in the, <laughs> freight in the city and go there. I think, in fact, I think you should take it to Freight in the city. They, they can yeah. go and uh, they can go and like mark it up as the trucks that are specifically not allowed in <laughs> London's Euless zone. Foden's with caterpillar engines. Yes, especially. Yeah, the ULEZ zone. I've seen on the, uh, in the media today, it's becoming mandatory from 2021, I think it was. In London? In London for everything. So uh, I was reading that on the, on the train on the way down. Yes, I did say train. So yes, I did come on the train this morning. I'll have to, no. <laughs> to go and look that up, the ULEZ zone yeah, thing. I'm, I'm sure I read that it's 2021 and the new zone is the north and south circular, I believe. From are we inside that? I don't know if we are inside that here, are we? I think we may be just... At, no, we're outside here, aren't we? We're in Surrey, aren't we? We're in, we're in the posh end of London here, so... I fully intend still to be, dri- <laughs> still to be driving uh, Cavaliers in 2021, <laughs> just so we know I can... Dri- I can still bring that down then. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think you'll be okay. As long as you stay on the M25, I think you'll be... You're just about uh, just about avoid it, I think. <laughs> so what about, the fo- what about the phone? What's that? Is that Euro... Euro 3. Euro 3. Yeah. So there were, you could previously put a... Um, a, a London spec exhaust on it, yeah, yeah, which would get it to Euro Four, so it could run. That was the Eminox, the the trap, or Dynex, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, you could previously get it to the spec where you could take it into London, but once a Euler zone comes in, you've um, had it. Even Euro Fives, is, uh, is it clocks compliant as well? We've got windows and cameras and sensors and. No, I'll take that as a no then. <laughs> no, it does not. It doesn't. It depends what part of the country you're operating in. Though. If I'm based up in Scotland, there's loads of working places that you could go with that truck where you're not going to be yeah, within the scope of these zones. Um, it's just it's, it's a bit of a lottery depending on where in the country you are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not so much guys with fo- with Foden so much really old trucks. The guys that, with the ULEs that are going to be affected are guys with 63 plate. Euro, Euro 5, five yeah, yeah. vacuum tankers and tippers and, yeah. and uh, curbside r- waste collection trucks yeah. from local R- authorities, for example. R- it's rigid vehicles, really. A tractor units, you can change a tractor unit without too much difficulty. It's the rigid ones. That's These the skips and hooks and yeah. fridges and technical so stuff. Really. I'd read somewhere they were going to give money towards like upgrading or something like that. And it was well, the Mayor of London's going to give money away? Or they were, they were talk, talking that there was going to be a scheme, like not like a scrappage scheme for trucks and okay. things. And it was like, it was muted in the press by people who've got no idea what these trucks are actually worth. <laughs> a quarter of a million pound. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Where, where do we sign? Let's, let's get on it. Absolutely. It's very... Uh, it's, I think it's short-sighted. With it. You should have a sliding scale with Euro 5 just to kind of... Because it's not environmentally friendly to be taking trucks off the road that have yeah, absolutely. got loads of life in them. And besides the point, Euro 5 is not exactly a dirty vehicle, is it? It's, it's, not, it's not. And the, the problem is where also with them type of vehicles, skips and curbside recyclers, where do you second life them? Who buys them? Because they're only any good, a lot of them, in a city. But, of course, London is the first ULEZ zone, but then there's talk about... Uh, Birmingham and Nottingham and Glasgow and it's just growing and growing and growing so at some point those trucks have got to go somewhere so where do we how do we get rid of them no it doesn't make any sense to just end up scrapping them and they're not necessarily going to be going 
a broad either. So uh, it is a challenge for the industry as a whole, I think. Yeah, yeah, you don't want them part. You don't want them parked up in fields somewhere. It doesn't make any sense. But nobody's been able to get any concessions on any of these like, at all. I know there's a Glasgow ULES coming up. Yeah, and there's a. Um, a public meeting about that in January, which I suppose I should probably go to to go and find out what's going on now. Yeah, I know Derby of where I live. I live in Derbyshire, and Derby City Council have just announced um, that they're they're dropping it. Um, Nottingham, which is just down the road, they're not. Um, so I'm not quite sure what Derby are doing yet, but there's some kind of there's some kind of statement coming out. I'm sure that we need to comply to, but I believe it's not as stringent as a lot of other cities. So we'll have to see what happens there. Hmm. Because you could end up with a problem whereby if you've got trucks, if you're delivering it to three or four cities and you enter three or four different utilised zones in one day, you might have to pay four charges for it. Yeah. And I'd read somewhere that Bath's proposed ULES, um was um, extended out over a piece of trunk road. Right. So all the passing traffic would then be <laughs> clocked into it that's as convenient. well. Ah, oh. oh, that's... Um, uh, just the, the the kind of sneaky thing you would expect, really. But the trucks are getting to a point where trucks are just not perceived to be city-friendly, and obviously without trucks, cities would just stop. So bins wouldn't be emptied, shops wouldn't be restocked, petrol stations would be empty. No, you've got a Volvo FM. We have. Was, that in, was that in commercial motor? But yeah, it was. We did... Um, um, Colin Bonnet drove it a few weeks ago. We did some some driving around central London. And that's got the it's got 270 degree recordable cameras. Um, it's got the low window in the door. It's a low height track, low height chassis. It's got full air suspension. Um, and despite that, people still come up the inside of you. And it's a huge challenge. These guys that are doing it day in and day out, I've got a major, major job on the hands, and it's absolutely chaotic sometimes. I mean, we went round um, sort of round by Parliament Square and Covent Garden and. Camden Town and places like that, um, Euston Road, and the the traffic density and the the vulnerable road users, pedestrians and and cyclists, just see a big truck and just go up the inside. And I, I ride a motorcycle as well, but I would never, never go up the inside of a truck ever, never in a million years, uh, even if it was on a straight piece of road. But they just seem to think that it's acceptable to do it. So no, they're just a big nuisance. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we try as, as an industry and as a manufacturer, and I'm speaking for all manufacturers here, none of us want to see um, trucks uh, running into people or knocking people off bikes, but everybody's got to take respons a joint responsibility for safety. All right. Now, I remember a while ago, you did you speak to Jeremy Vine on Twitter? We did have a little... taking him out in a truck? We did have a little uh, conversation on Twitter, yeah. I've did I ever go any further with that? I've no. not heard nothing back. I will I will chase that because I think it'd be, I would. it's quite important. Well, he's got a TV show now as well. He has. Which is on Channel 5 in the morning. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll tweet him tonight when I'm on the on the way back, so uh, he'll kill off an hour on the yeah, train. We, yeah, we could go We could go and see that, eye. Because uh, you could go, you could go and take Jeremy out in the lorry, and I'll go and hang about in the studio with Storm Huntley. <laughs> you can take the truck; I don't mind. It's fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, because well, because I'm now um, but, uh, editing the magazine, it means like I'm sitting at the computer during the day quite a lot. So I've sometimes got the telly on in the background, so you start to get these programs, the, the odd daytime program like that. And uh, not Jeremy Carl though. Out. No, well, Jeremy Vine's show, because <laughs> you get the people in the audience who are like, but they're like, oh. <laughs> like they've been let out somewhere for the day. Yeah. But that, that's that's filmed in London, isn't it? But um, it is, because he's got to go and do his radio yeah, show. Yeah, he does radio to, to lunchtime, doesn't he? 
Oh. We should totally go and try and get on that and get an audience. <laughs> what, on the, on the radio or on the telly? On the telly. Let's do the telly. Park a truck outside or something. Let's yeah. do it. Do it, I? I will try and... Uh, I'll chase that tonight, actually, on the way home, because that'll be... be... Interesting. Jeremy's really... He, well, he's a, he's a cyclist. He's always going in a bit. Yeah, he is. I mean, and, and to be fair, the thing that started that discussion with mm-hmm. him on, on Twitter was uh, there was another journalist called Toby Young uh, who was knocked off his bike in central London by a truck. And to be fair to the cyclist in that scenario, it was the truck driver who was at fault. Um, but it's so easy. You've got to concentrate totally for 100% of the time. And there's so much going on with pedestrians, cyclists, taxis, delivery vans. It's just is, bedlam. I've got... Um what I noticed on Friday, there was um, a cyclist had put up a video. It was a, a Mercedes Axa, an old rigid, had come up. You know, you've got the cycle boxes at the front of the traffic lights. He'd come up behind a cyclist and he'd, he'd kind of encroached into the box with his bumper on the near side and he got a bit too close to her. She wasn't happy about it. Um, but if you look at it, he'd come to like a controlled stop and it's you don't, you think he probably wasn't, thinking he was doing anything wrong there, but then it was on Twitter and they were going absolutely mad about it. And I was like, you've really got to watch what you're doing these days because everybody's videoing you as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. even trucks nowadays, everything's got a dash cam or, like you say, the all over social media, it's on there every single day. There's somebody having an accident or somebody getting knocked over or... Yeah, the... the um my favourite one's doing the, in the average speed camera roadworks when you're right. in the truck. Yeah, we heard yeah. it a couple of times where there'd be somebody sitting in the middle lane doing like 45 mile an hour and we'd go right up there and we'd just cruise up the inside 50 miles an hour and they'd be out like videoing you on their phone yeah, yeah. as if you're doing something yeah. wrong so they can go and like go and try and go back to the boss and tell them what they're, <laughs> what they're doing. But, um, a friend of mine's got um, an 8x4 eight, eight tipper and uh, he's got one of the How's My Driving stickers on the back tailgate but the number on the sticker is his cab number. So if somebody rings the number to complain, they get in while he's driving along. So some of those conversations, I would imagine, are fairly interesting. Well, you do get it. I know I'd, a hollier, and he's had a couple of phone calls from people saying, you know, raging, and he's like, right, what's happened is that this driver has been aggressively doing this and that. And he's like, that's old jock. He's 68 years old. He's not going to be doing that. And he's just, uh, if you've got video footage of this, go and um, hand it into the police then. It's as simple as that. And they're like, oh no, well wait, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, want to complain, but don't want to complain. Uh, basically, probably because we're holding the phone when yeah, <laughs> we're while, driving, while driving, which is even worse. Yeah. But, um, I think that's, that's, that's another, another bit of a hot topic, isn't it? The amount of times you see truck drivers, mainly from Eastern Europe, uh, a lot of the time, got laptops and TVs on the go. And mm-hmm. I saw one yesterday texting while he was driving and, you know, just gives the industry as a whole a, a bad name. Right, well, I'd noticed, I've started following a lot of the, the police officer and enforcement accounts on Twitter and they're constantly stopping foreign vehicles and just um, constant tachograph offences, like multiple tachograph cards and all these kind of... Yeah, I think that's what I saw one yesterday with five. He got five tachograph cards and he'd not had a break for... I don't 90 hours or something. They get fined for it and then they're just free to go in their way again. And I'm thinking, well, surely they should have a counterpart British driving license that they can get or something. It just seems that there's a lot of repeat. I I think what happens, we were speaking to, we do quite a bit with the the Met Police Traffic Department with the the cycle safety teams and things like that. And they were saying if um, a a non-UK driver gets stopped and gets an endorsable offence, they create a ghost licence in Swansea. So that you still get the points on the ghost license, but obviously they've still got their own license. So if they don't come back to the UK, in theory, 
doesn't really exist. So, and the other, I, I struggle with the, um, you know, these guys are driving three or four days solidly on three or four different taco cards. And all they do, they put a chain around the drive axle wheel for 24 hours, park them up, find them three, 400 quid. I take it off and they're on the way again. Um, and I'm fairly sure that that's not much of a deterrent. I don't think there is much of a deterrent for it. No, I find it. I don't know if it's just because I'm following all those accounts more that you're just noticing it more or if it's really that. No, you're, you're right. It's on, I mean, I, I follow probably the same sort of accounts and um, and it's, it's every day. And it's certainly um, the Met and sort of Central Motorway Police Group in Birmingham, every single day there's three or four different tweets or posts on, on Facebook of uh, foreign operators being locked up. But if we, if we did that in Spain or France or wherever, you'd be, you'd be sort of 3,000, 4,000 euros before they release it. So that's much more of a deterrent than what we do in this country. So it uh, be interesting to see Soften. what... I'll tell you what a hot topic has been. It's uh, load security inside curtain siders, where they've been stopping them and opening them up, and it's a pallet. Pallets front to back are like drink cans and bottles, and they've got the internal straps crossed over them either side, and it's not legal. Uh, it's not going to... Even with a load-bearing curtain, if, if that goes over, that's going to go over if it starts to lean. There's nothing you can really do about it if it goes over on its side. I mean, with our, with our test trailers, we go massively over the top. We have all, admittedly, they're all concrete blocks, so the central gravity is really, really low. But everything we've got is double strapped and three straps across the back, three stra straps across the front. So we're getting quite, like the, the enforcement guys were getting quite, like, look at the state of this. And I'm like, every single cut inside are pulling that stuff up and doing the road is strapped the same way. Yeah, absolutely. If it goes over, it's go making a mess. If you put ratchet straps over the top of these, it's not going to help it. No. It just make it all go over in one it rather mm -hmm. than it isn't right. And over four hundred yeah. kilograms, it has to be strapped. Yeah. But I say it's, it's I say every single thing going up and down the road. It's just not they're not running legally yeah. by yeah. the letter of the law. But on the other hand, is any of this stuff actually moving? It's no. not. No. <laughs> it's no, not at all. Not at all. And you see some. Uh, I saw a JCB the other day with some ratchet straps holding it on, oh, rather rather than chains. So I think it's not even just curtain siders. I think. Some of the load security leaves a bit to be desired. Yeah. Well, no, the load-bearing curtains, apparently, they've got to, the pallets have got to run front to back. Right. It's got to be fully loaded. If you start taking pallets off that and doing multi-drops, I think then they're no longer load-bearing. Right, okay. Uh, so you've got to have it full full to the brim, front to back, floor yeah, to ceiling. Yeah, because a, a big, um, I won't name them, a big uh, shop has got double-deck curtain siders and uh, Vosa, DVSA, pulled them in and said, this is illegal, and they were those. Twitter account was like, take this down, we've got load bearing curtains and they're not legal because the load they're not loaded fully front to back. Yeah. It's probably I, I don't know, the, the the solution to that to make everybody run legally, do you put you can't have drivers with loads and loads of ratchet straps putting in a trailer going and dropping it and losing all their straps. They would go through hundreds of them a day. But it's, it's certainly I guess it's just law average. Every decker running up and down the road doing pallet network stuff is potentially not legal. And at the at night time as well, I'm sure from Scotland you see a lot coming, you do see Hundreds. a lot on the M74, M6 southbound. And around where I am in, in the Midlands, there's a huge uh, yeah, the pallet, pallet network in, uh, just outside Burton-on-Trent. And as you say, at night time, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. And again, that's, that's another question, double-deck trailers. I mean, I'm personally not a big fan. Um, I think the there you know, are. I've I've did a lot of uh, double deck double deckers trunking up and down the road. We're just going back to what we were saying earlier about the the twenty five meter yeah. uh, Scandinavian model. Everything's four meters, mm -hmm. uh, and the amount of bridge strikes you see with double decks. In fact, the amount of bridge strikes you see with four point two, four point four, or is that thirteen foot six, thirteen foot eight? 
don't know, know we've gone back into, <laughs> I don't know but uh, no trailer heights need to be in foot yeah um, some, some, of the, some of the um, some of the bridge markings as well obviously as you know from doing your, your CPC 16 foot 6 mm-hmm. is the uh, the minimum gap if there's no marking on the bridge um, but a lot of the ones ran certainly a couple in Derbyshire some are marked up as 13 foot 2 which is 4 metres but the two numbers vary so it says 13 foot 2 and 4.2 metres and I think there's been a couple of bridge strikes around around this area as well over the last few years for, for the same thing. So I think some of the signage leaves a little bit to be desired. But with the uh, with the European model, everything at four metres, but go longer. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's that's most definitely the way forward. And even even in Ireland uh, at night, they're running exactly that to that configuration from Dublin over to Galway. Yeah, there was I saw one at full of the pipe. There was a daft that's right. like two trailer yeah. set up on it. You see quite a few at night time running on the uh, the motorway across. East to west. Yeah, so, I'm not sure you could run them on the motorway too successfully anywhere near the Midlands at the moment because the highways England and their programme of putting roadworks the entire length of the M6. Well, funnily enough, I went to uh, I went to Heathrow last uh, when would it be last Wednesday morning, and I looked on Google at four o'clock in the morning before I left, and the M1 southbound was closed, the M6 southbound was closed, the M40 southbound was closed, the M4 um, into London was closed. And the A14 and M11 were both closed. So to get from my house in the Midlands to Heathrow, which is only on a good day, two hours, it's about 125, 130 miles, um, took me best part of four hours in the middle of the night. Everywhere you went, it was just chaos. And there was obviously the guys who, who do the night trunks were yeah, trying to pick everywhere around. And every single night, it's the same. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. But none of them were down to accidents. It was all planned maintenance. As I, I don't understand. I would like, I actually like to get access to someday at Highways England to explain what's going on with that. Do they have like a big map of the motorway network with flashing lights on it and these are where they're closing it all because it does cause a lot of problems. We had one a few weeks ago, they'd shut the slip road at the A66 at Penrith, which meant you had to go down to the next junction, 39, turn around and come back up. And it would take so long to do that that you needed a 10-hour card to do the trunk. So you do it one night, you do it two nights, and then that's it. You can't and the, you'd think they would have shut the slip road at the weekend or something like that, but no, they didn't. No, it is, uh, it is co- interesting, just talking about social media as well, Highways England have got about 10 or 12 different Twitter addresses for each traffic area, and not one of them ever responds. No, we, I've only seen one respond once. Right. Uh, Luke Vernon was on, and he got stuck into them one night for a 30-mile-an-hour limit from somewhere, and they actually replied. And I was like, wow. Um, that's a shock that they're blind because uh, the smart motorway is actually quite a complicated thing I've got a disc that, that I got from the CV show last year explaining how it all works which I need to go I want to run an article on that because it's um, it's actually a lot more uh, complicated than they just dug up the hard shoulder and put yeah. some signs on yeah. it uh, I don't I, I don't really agree with the concept because the amount of time it's taken them to do it and the amount of effort that's gone into it they might as well have put a bloody hard shoulder on it and had four lanes as well. <laughs> Just up by me, on the M1 uh, between junctions 24 and 28, got to think then, they've just done smart motorway, but uh, it'll be three years at Christmas to, 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 do, to, to do that. And then a couple of years ago, they also did from junction, I think it was uh, 28 to, uh, I think it was 31. And then that took all, a similar amount of time. And just as we were about to reopen, they realised that the concrete wall in the centre was the wrong mix. So it was then shut for another year while they redid the wall. 
So that was about four years worth of roadworks. And then the one by me in uh, by East Midlands Airport will be three at Christmas. Um, nice. But the, the, my, my frustration with it as well, and we've had quite a few uh, tickets in the post because it's quite confusing sometimes because you'll drive under one gantry and the hard shoulder's got a red cross above it. And then you'll drive another mile down the road. And the next one hasn't. And then the next one has. And you think, well, is it open or is it not open? And, and I saw a video you put on, um, I think it was Facebook this morning, with the, uh, over the Seven Bridge. And if you, if you break down and you're on the, what I perceive to be the hard shoulder, it's not a nice place to be. Yeah, the video, um, mm. it, was, it was put on um, showing you um, what it was like when trucks were like flying past if you're inside the cones and the roadworks, uh, which isn't a particularly safe place to be. Um, but on other roadworks... Um, They've not finished 16 to 19. That's still all 50 miles an hour for about 20 miles. And now they've went and started digging it up further down. And they've got signs up saying that's going to take till 2022 to do that. And these are all over the country. And you think, why can't you just like devote all your energies to one bit at a time? Do a junction at a time. And then work really hard at it and get it done quickly, then move to the next bit instead of having hundreds of miles of the motorway network and average speed cameras, which I don't think, I don't think they're doing anything for safety. No, because they're just bunching the traffic up. Yeah, it's the I same agree. with the gantries for the smart motorway. You can be going along and for no reason sometimes it drops the speed limit down to 50 and then everybody's all bunched up and then you just, it clears and you go again. And, and you know, we talk about you know, promoting safety, but the, I think the, the thing with the speed cameras on the gantries as well, people speed between them, see the, the speed limit at 50 and then lock up and then everything just bunches up. And I saw one on, on the M25 last week, somebody ran into the back of somebody because he braked just because there was a speed camera there, so how that promotes safety, I'm not, not overly sure, really. No, I'd like to know the statistics for accidents in, like, average speed camera areas yeah, yeah. and whether they're doing anything. I mean, in the average speed camera bit, people don't seem to get the concept. They Even, like, with a fixed camera, they'll slow down for the camera, speed up between them, yeah. and then brake for the next. But obviously, it's, it's yeah, taking the average. Scared, they sit dead on yeah. the speed, and they're scared to go over it, even though they've got, like, a lorry wheel right yeah. at their car door, and it's like, well give the throttle a squeeze and go and get away from it just for a few seconds or, and then or, take yourself out of trouble. Or, of course, back off. Is yeah, the and they, let the truck yeah. pass. And they don't, they don't think, um, think, oh, if I go over 50 miles an hour for like a second, and if you're doing 50 on your car's speedo, you're probably only doing 45, 46. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so. What's that? So what's, um, when do you finish up for Christmas? Uh, Friday. What, this Friday? This Friday. What? Just I'm to clarify, it's the 10th of December. <laughs> I've worked that, that hard this year. I've got so many days holiday to take up, but I'm not back until the 7th of January either. That's so, my birthday. So I'll remember that. So uh, three weeks, three weeks off. That's so right. uh, I'm a little bit worried, though, I've got to say, because I'm just about to do an ass extension after Christmas. So the list of things that my wife's drawing up for me to do between Christmas and New Year is worrying. So I actually spoke to a friend to see if he got any, uh, any fridge work. He goes down to Spain quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd try and blag myself a little run to Spain next week if I can, get out of the house and out of the right. country. And then maybe nobody, nobody will mention Brexit. I might get away from it for about three days. Uh, so. I hope so. Nah, I put Radio 5 on in the morning and it came on and they were talking about Brexit and then I came out at night and put it on and they're still talking about exactly the same thing again. So I just blank it out. I'm like, oh, just... Just keep uh, half an eye on it and see what's what. Well, I don't want to get, uh, don't want to get drawn in, drawn into arguments with uh, with anyone about it. But uh, even according to the last Brexit minister, I think he he thought no freight came through Dover. So God knows what's going to happen coming up the M20 after March. Yeah, well, actually, what we're going to do, if you've seen a lot in the pre the problems that they're having in Kent, yeah. 
because there's no truck parking and they're clamping trucks and laybys and um, on hard shoulders as well quite a lot yeah because there's nowhere for them to go um what i'd planned to do early next year was go down to kent um and go and see if we can speak to some of the local residents some of the hauliers some of the drivers to see what's really going on down there because we're going to be um we were speaking to a campaign group um and they're trying to speak to the head of count, uh, Kent County Council, and they really weren't interested in discussing it at all. And it's like, well, surely, you, because of your geographical location, you've got a responsibility for this yeah. freight that's passing through. You can't just um, start clamping it and persecuting these people when if they don't have anywhere else to go. And the, of course, the problem is, if anybody has sat in Operation Stack, which I have a couple of times, it's absolutely no fun whatsoever. I mean, even basic human functions like going to the toilet is a major problem. Mm. Um, and then, of course, all the, the residents kick up. We don't want trucks parked there. And nowhere to eat, nowhere to drink, nowhere to use the toilet. It's, it's not great. No, they need to go. There needs to be more truck stop facilities built. And they need to... Oh, I, I find that uh, there's a lot of laybys that are getting uh, dug up and removed as well from places as well. And I've noticed as well, see, in the Aberdeen Bypass... So the, some of the, it's not open yet, but some of the new sections that you can see up up the top of Aberdeen, the laybys are tiny on them. You can only maybe squeeze two trucks into them if you're lucky. And you think, well, they should be much bigger. Yeah, for the um, amount of traffic. Certainly, that, that's a busy route. The A96, uh, isn't it? I don't understand why we can't have rest areas like you do in Europe. Well, it's, I mean, you drive around Europe. I mean, and all, all the parking spaces are all herringbones, so you don't have to sit there watching somebody trying to reverse in blindside. You just drive around the back, straight through, park up, and drive out the front, and it works. But you drive through mainland, you know, main sort of mainland Europe, Germany in particular. There's that much parking in the Netherlands. It's 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 easy. There's everywhere to park. So some of them have only got a basic toilet. There's no food or anything, but at least you can stop safely, get out, go to the toilet. So uh, yeah, it's not uh, it's not good. But it'd be interesting to see what happens after March, if anything happens after March, of course. Yeah, who knows. Nobody knows what's yeah. uh, happening. I. But I uh, know I'm working up until we've got a deadline. The magazine goes out on the twenty first. No, we finish up on the Friday the twenty first, and then I've got. But I've actually got holidays to take, which is a strange concept for me because I've been <laughs> self-employed for that long. I'm like, wait a minute here. I've actually, but I don't know because I, I would just. Re- to have a holiday, I would have to go away somewhere and do something. I can't hang about the house because I'll just revert. To you get you get a list of jobs to do, like I will. Yeah, I've got all, I've got old Vauxhalls needing repaired. I'll get the Foden fired up, med south to the sunshine. That's what you need to do. No, well, it's, it's basically MOT ready. I was waiting. I was need to get a set of tyres for the drive axle for it. Um, I was waiting to see if I could get some discount on a nice set. Um, so I'm kind of holding off a little bit on that you now. But I'll um. Oh, Christmas should be quite nice. It'd be quite nice because when being self-employed the last few years, I've been like kind of like a bit wary of um, like letting your foot off the gas and not working between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not easy to stop. To, no. But um, I decided. Do you, what do you get for Christmas? Do you get any good presents off people? Or are you one of these people that are like, oh, I don't care. I don't want anything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, if, if I want something, I just. Just going by. Well, you, you've got kids, eh? I've got two daughters, two yeah. Two daughters, aye. So it, it makes a difference if there's like kids involved with Christmas. Yeah. But if it's like buying for like adults, I'll oh, just get me an Amazon voucher. <laughs> socks, socks are usually good. I've got socks, are, I've got thousands of pairs of socks. No, I've, I've, com- <laughs> I've complicated things 
for people in the last year or so because I figured the best Christmases I ever had was when I had like games consoles when I had like a Sega Master System and then a Mega Drive. I still I got still got my Mega Drive in the loft somewhere. Brilliant. <laughs> in fact, they're they're going for serious money on the internet if you've got one still. It in depends the box. what games you've got. Yeah, Some yeah. of the games are worth a fortune. Yeah. Um, so I decided I was at the best Christmases I ever had was when I had the, I used to get games for Christmas and they were really expensive. So you got my like 1990, 1991, like these games were like 40, even 50 pounds. Yeah. So to, you were only getting maybe one or two a year. Yeah. So you used to get the latest FIFA. And if you look at the graphics on that compared to what you get now, it's... Uh, no, it's not good. Sensible yeah. soccer was... Yeah, was sensible soccer. Where it was at. But um, no, I said, they're like, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, uh, old Mega Drive and Master System <laughs> games. Because you, you can get them off eBay, no problem. At all, you can get anything you you want um, if you're willing to pay for it. Some of them are quite cheap. So people are like, "Really?" And I'm like, "No, I'm deadly serious. This is because I've got like nothing to do, and, like <coughs> nothing to do on Christmas Day or Boxing Day or anything like that. I'm just going to do what I was when I was like 12 or 13. I'm going to yeah. go and play Sega games. Play games. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I'm. I think we're having the latest version of Monopoly. Apparently, there's a cheating version of Monopoly. But my family say I always cheat at Monopoly. But there's a, a latest version fair. of it? Yeah, apparently it's called Cheating Monopoly, so I'm told. So uh, apparently that suits me down Cheating to the Monopoly? Yeah, apparently I, I cheat anyway. So, you know, I've got more property than Alan Sugar. But, um, I've not played Monopoly for years. <laughs> you can get Monopoly for the Master System. Can you really? Yep. I saw it on eBay the other night. Because I was looking through, perusing what things I should get for Christmas. Excellent. Find out what Mega Drive games you've got. What you got planned for the new year for the magazine? First issue of doing of the New Year's got the FH750 test in it. Excellent. But uh, the f- I discovered by accident I've got a Scania S730 in that issue. I've got the FH750. I've got a 141 okay. V8, and I've got an F89. Excellent. So, so I've got a kind of new and old school Swedish Excellent. stuff in that. That's the first one that we do when we come back. And I've got to go to Sweden with you in January to go and drive. Yeah, that's the first Volvo. couple of weeks, isn't it? I'll have to go and coincide that in with a lovely visit to Kent. <laughs> <laughs> Kent will probably be warmer to be honest so uh, there's no, that's the only advantage I can think of but uh, not that there's likely, anything wrong with Kent is it likely to be snowy? it could be a little bit cold yeah we went uh, normally this time of year in fact we were here we went this time in fact this week last year with, with Will and Colin uh, for the, we did a feature for the commercial motor Christmas edition last year and uh, the warmest it got was minus 18 up in up in the Arctic that was in the Arctic Circle up in uh, Kiruna so we had three hours of three hours of daylight uh, and some reindeer, which tasted very nice at night, and it does have to be said. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, very cold, but I'm fairly sure it won't be that cold. But normally we get a bit of there's usually a bit of snow that time of year, and it's usually you need a hat. Let's put it that way. Oh, I'll be sure to bring that. I've still not got a Volvo baseball cap. Like them, haven't we? I just yeah, saw I that. I think what I've got, I've got a Renault one, an Iveco one, an MAN. So I'm getting round the manufacturer. So, so what you're saying is you want a proper cap now, then? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Need to discuss your internet trolling of rival manufacturers, actually. <laughs> okay, let's do it. For people that don't know, my, um, yeah, Martin's not shy in uh, pointing out um, the foibles of rival manufacturers' <laughs> vehicles, perceived or otherwise. But they never bite back. I think it'd be quite good, you know, if you had a kind of like a, a biggie and two-pack type thing going on. <laughs> well, I must admit, we're, a good friend, uh, Mark Hanks at Iveco, he does, we do have a fair bit of banter, as you've probably seen on Twitter. But uh, And we also, we're also both quite good at burying eight-wheelers uh, in quarries, although he's a little bit better than I am, I've got to say. Uh, although, to be fair, last time you got one buried, it came out 
eventually, but uh, cracking job he did. So yeah, Mark's really good. So we do have a bit of a bit of sport, shall we say? Mm -hmm. So uh, it'd be nice if some of the other manufacturers had a bit of bit of banter as well. But uh, all all good fun, all good fun. <laughs> so we're all we're all we're all in a very difficult business. So uh, it's good to good to have a bit of fun every now and again. Regards the your um, the demonstration fleet because you've been yeah. really proactive with getting those trucks out to us. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's my plan next year for truck and driver to do an in depth like a working truck test in every issue. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and move away from doing like little press test drives. You know. Okay. I'm going to get a demonstrator, put it into a hauler, and do the um, feedback on that. And yeah, I'll drive it. They can drive it, and we'll really. Put it, put it to a test doing something that's appropriate for the vehicle. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, the, I think the thing with that as well, I mean, it's all very, I mean, I can sit here all day long and say Volvo's the best truck in the world, which of course it is. Um, and, you know, you can go and drive it for three, four hours and say, yeah, Martin's right, it is. But I think it adds a lot more value if you give it to an operator that lives mm -hmm. in the real world and has to run these things day in, day out. And I think that adds far more value if they get a real life scenario. So I think that's, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, did, I, I slept. I did three nights out in there uh, as well. Okay. Are those cutting? Are those cutting standard? The bright yellow. The, ones? the yellow. They are on the <laughs> on, on, on the sixteen liter. They are. Yeah, they are. Like, oh, what are these? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, the trim level is when, when we launched it back in twenty twelve. Everybody said, "Really? It's a bit. Uh, it's a bit bright." But if you're going to buy, spend the extra money on a sixteen liter, then you want everybody to know you've got one. Because a lot of people paint the grill silver and make, make them look like it, but obviously the interior is fairly bespoke to to an FH16. Is there, are there some revisions coming next year? We'll have to see. Oh. I don't know. We'll have to. Because uh, we were out at the uh, show at uh, Elmia last bill. Yes, that in was in Sweden uh, in August, August September time, wasn't it? Yeah, because I had. Uh, I think they were talking about there was going to be some updates from the guards. Like, is it the this dynamic steering? Yeah, we've got dynamic steering, uh, which we've had for, I think we launched it in 2014, along with dual clutch at the same time. Uh, but we've now got a couple of revisions to it. Some people have complained with dynamic steering. Some people feel that it's too light and there's no feedback through the steering. So any orders that we place now, we've got the ability to uh, order it with what we call personal settings. Um, so that means you can make it stiffer, make it lighter, uh, make it how you want it, basically. And then the other the other side of that, we've also got um, on on the cars we call it pilot assist. So if you've got the lane keeping and the lane changing support functions, it picks the white lines up and keeps it within the within the uh, within the white lines. So if you're doing sort of long trunk, it's really really useful. You've still got to have your hands fully on the wheel and obviously drive. It's it's there to assist the driver, not to drive the truck for him. And that's a fairly important message to get across. Speaking of uh, driving the truck for him. Um, that um, the press release popped up on that fully autonomous FH. Which yes, is working in a mine in, in Norway. In Norway. Yeah, I'm not going to try and say the name of the place, but yeah, it's northern Norway. Because mm -hmm. that it's curious that that truck's like a full globe trotter. Yeah, it's a six before you mentioned earlier. It's a six before double drive with the um, with the rear lift rear lift axle. And these vehicles are driving underground into a mine. Absolutely, yeah. Being loaded and coming back out and tipping. Going back and forward all day with no drivers. Absolutely, yeah, autonomously. So uh, you may have seen as well. We, in fact, Will came with me to the uh, the global launch. Uh, Will Shires. We went to where did we go to uh, Berlin back in September. Is that the Vera? That was Vera. Um, you see the Vera thing. That's got no cab on it whatsoever. Absolutely. But these globe trotter 
ones working in Norway, that's like a full truck that a person could drive. Is that I'm, I'm, thinking behind that? I'm, absolutely. I mean, the, the Vera um, is more based on sort of like ports and RDCs and places like that. So you can control it and move it around and do, get it to do stuff for you. Whereas the um, the truck, what you're referring to, can still be can still be driven. So if you want to take it out of the mine and drive it down the motorway, then you just jump in and drive normally, really. So I how I feel about that. We're going to have to go out and investigate these at some point. Well, we, because you've got, at the Elmia last bill show hmm. in Sweden, there was a Volvo FH which somebody was able to control... With a like a crane remote, yeah, like a crane remote, yeah, yeah. they could move it about and yeah. things. So is that? Well, I've, I've just I've just ordered one of those, uh, not exactly the same spec as that one, but we've got a I've ordered a, a tractor unit for next year, with that functionality on it, so you can come and have a go. And what's the thinking behind it? Um, well, take I mean the sort of one that springs to mind really is sort of refuse collection. So a lot of the time, and certainly not so much in the UK, but in in Scandinavia. Uh, a lot of bin crews are single man, so if you're just going to move the truck at real low speed, you can stand at the back, put the bin on, drive it forward, put the next bin on, and so on. So uh, the, the certain scenarios, obviously, you know, it's not there to replace the driver; it's there to to assist the driver with uh, the sort of job where you're in and out of the cab all day long. So uh, just sort of slow speed manoeuvring uh, backwards and forwards, limited to 10 kilometres an hour. So it's not it's never going to drive it on the road, which obviously we don't want to do because I won't say that's overly safe, but um, so we can go and have a shot of it at a show next year, maybe. Absolutely. Move it about a bit. And that's, the, that's the plan, yeah. So we've got a, I've ordered it on a tractor unit for next year. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if we get the uh, the go-ahead, we'll probably do it at Truck Fest. So we'll have a, an arena. Mm-hmm. With a You'll have to bring it to Convoy in the park. I'm sure we could probably do that. Obviously, if we can get a preferential rate on the stand, of course. <laughs> they don't ask me about that. I've just seen Vic walk past a minute ago, so uh, we'll, yeah, that, we'll that's twist, to twist his arm. <laughs> the road transport media sales team. So uh, I think Tim Tim George hates coming to see us because we uh, he always comes out with bruised bruised eyes and broken limbs. So thanks to my friend uh, my colleague Dawn, so our events manager. So uh, Dawn doesn't like to pay for anything. So uh, there we go. But yeah, we'll have to see. So we'll that we should have that functionality next year. And um, yeah, be, obviously there will have other small developments coming next year as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the dynamics. Steer, being able to alter the steering is quite interesting. Um, when I was out in the 750 last week, uh, Ramsey thought the steering was brilliant because his FH13 doesn't have it. Yeah. But I can see why some people would think, oh, that is really, really light because I, I put that to the test and got a nine-year-old to go and steer yeah, the truck about uh, steer the truck about a yard and she was able to do it no problem. She was she was uh, chuffed to bits at that. So. I must admit, when, when we first launched um, Dynamic Steering, which three or four years ago, uh, initially it only came on, you could get it on tractor units or you could get it on Tridem eight before so uh, steered axle at the front and a triple bogey at the uh, triple axle bogey at the back with the rear steer um the the market i saw it being most successful or most useful in is the typical uk eight before market mm-hmm. tight yards where you've got to screw around construction sites where there's no room mm-hmm. um so we eventually launched it on eight befores uh, normal standard eight befores a couple of years ago and it's proved very very popular when we first put it on tractor units, um, I'll be honest, I wasn't the I wasn't the biggest fan of it because, like a lot of operators have said, it feels quite light. However, once you've got used to it, yeah, you get used to it, and then you get thing. back in a truck that's not got it. Mm-hmm. It's hard work, so uh, it is really, really good. Um, and it's the same with anything; it's just anything new. People take a little bit of time to get into it, but once you get used to it, it's. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I saw popped up on Facebook on Friday. It was an FH16 with a manual gearbox. 
There's not many of them about. No, it was. <laughs> a, is it a 580? 550. 550. Yeah, yeah. 550. Um, yeah, because that that had um, appeared, and I was like, that that's unusual. That must be a manual, and sure enough, it was. But I don't know how many of them are. There's in not existence many in the UK. There must there's be not, very. Yeah, there's a, we did a few very early on, but there's not been. Not I'm not I'm not. In fact, the only manual I've driven was a, a brick and block operator up in Yorkshire, uh, not so long back. Uh, he's got a 550 manual, uh, which is about 18 months, two years old. You may have to hook me up in his direction. I'm sure, I'm sure we I'm could. Because I wanted to do, I wanted to do an article on sort of the very last of the manual Volvos, because yeah. of course with the 2018 model year, that was them. Yeah, yeah, no we're longer all available. Is that FM, FMX, FH? Everything. Uh, you we can still get like an FE. F, F, at the moment, FL and FE is still mm -hmm. available with uh, a six-speed six or speed, a yeah. nine-speed manual range change. Um, I suspect, and I don't know for sure, but I suspect that'll probably disappear at some point. Uh, bearing in mind, automatic transmissions are ideal in 18-tonners. That's, that's where you want them if you're in and out of the city centres. Uh, but we withdrew manual gearboxes in September 2017. So anything that's sort of come through early after the early part of this year is is all eye shift. And, and we did that for a, a couple of reasons, really. I mean, when iShift first came out, uh, back in the version 2, which was 2001, from memory serves me right. As like far back as that it came 2001. Out. That seems uh, seems forever ago. But it, uh, it was a, wasn't, I suppose it wasn't that long, because I'm not that old. But... Um, um, it gearbox the iShift uh, innovations have come on that much in the last few years so we've now got the ability to have crawler gears we've got of course we've got dual clutch um so pretty much we've got an iShift that ticks every box uh, some some drivers as i'm sure you know some drivers still like manual gearboxes really don't think i've ever mentioned that before have you not no <laughs> <laughs> so although we uh, i can't see us putting an eaton twin splitter in anything in the in the short term but uh, who knows who knows what might happen I thought it was. Um, I noticed with that FH16, it said it had a particular kind of software on it. It was T something for the gearbox. TP. Um, that's TP Long, I think. That's TP Long. The, TP that's Long. That's that truck's got. Yeah. What's that mean? So that's the long haul software. So that gives you things like uh, eye roll. So that again, a fuel saving uh, device as long as you use it in the correct way. Um, and there's various other parameters that it brings in with it as well. And we do that differently for, we have different software packages for construction and distribution, which give you different characteristics depending on, on what the operation is really. Um, a lot of people, even now, though, even sort of taking eight befores on construction will still take the long haul software because you get more fuel saving features. And of course, everybody thinks of eight wheelers as just going in quarries, but the reality is they spend most of their life up and down the motorway and the quarries, the bit at the end where the truck yeah, to, tractor unit goes to a distribution center, they go to a quarry, so there's still sort of road going, if that makes sense. No, it does. It depends what part of the country you're in. With eight mm. wheelers, I suppose, a lot of them are. So, uh, yeah, so even that's proved. And again, we, we, we can spec it to, to whatever the operator wants, really. Well, I think that's uh, gone really well. Uh, thanks very much for coming down and being part of the first episode, Martin. That's uh, been really good. I've really enjoyed it, I think. You think? <laughs> we'll see how, it, see how it comes out of the... Yeah. Uh, comes out when it's all edited together uh, yeah um, you have a good Christmas and New Year and I shall catch up with you in January when we head out to Sweden to drive some uh, proper trucks yeah proper trucks at proper weights on proper lovely roads and hopefully the weather will be okay you're listening to Talk and Driver the truck podcast 